0: We've all watched the past couple of weeks, preparations along the Carolina coast in advance of Hurricane Florence. We've watched those preparations, maybe with scenes in our mind of Hurricane Harvey from last year. We have watched people preparing in all kinds of different ways, not knowing if their homes were going to be there or not we've watched them get sandbags out and work hard and fill those around their homes their businesses we've seen them plywood up the windows we have seen if we were watching the national weather channel here a little while ago they were showing on there the interstate reversal headed out to the carolina coast how they were shutting down the eastbound side and they were going to reverse it so that both sides of the interstate were westbound coming out of away from the coast in order for evacuations and there have been a lot of evacuations in that area and yet despite all of those preparations probably most of us have also heard stories of those who thought they were prepared to stick it out but they needed last minute high water rescue they thought they were prepared And as I want to talk tonight about being properly prepared for the unexpected storms of life, I thought I'd begin with this following old sermon illustration. I think it's quite appropriate. It's one that's been kicking around for a while. It is entitled, I Can Sleep When the Wind Blows. How many of you have heard it just so I know? Raise your hand, I can sleep when the wind blows. Just one, okay, good. A farmer on the Atlantic seacoast, constantly advertised for hired hands. Most people were reluctant to work on farms along the Atlantic because of the awful storms that wreaked havoc on the buildings and crops. One applicant for the job was a short, thin man, well past middle age. Are you a good farmhand? The farmer asked him. Well, answered the little man, I can sleep when the wind blows. Although puzzled by this answer, the farmer, desperate for help, hired him. And the little man worked well and kept busy from dawn to dusk. The farmer felt satisfied with the man's work. Then one night, the wind howled loudly from offshore, jumping out of bed. The farmer grabbed a lantern and rushed to the hired hand's sleeping quarters and he shook the little man and he yelled, Get up! Get up! A storm is coming! Tie things down before they blow away. The little man rolled over in bed and said firmly, No, sir. I told you, I can sleep when the wind blows. Enraged by the response, the farmer was tempted to fire him on the spot but he hurried outside to prepare for the storm instead. To his amazement, he discovered that all of the haystacks had been covered with tarpaulins, the cows were in the barn, the chickens were in their coops, and all the doors were barred. The shutters tightly secured. Everything was tied down. Nothing could blow away. And at that moment, the farmer understood what his hired hand meant. So the farmer returned to his bed to also sleep, while the wind blew. When you're prepared for storms, spiritually, mentally, and practically, you have nothing to fear. Can you sleep when the wind blows through your life? The hired hand in the story was able to sleep because he had secured the farm against the storm. We secure ourselves against the storms of life by soaking ourselves with the word of God, obeying it, and then placing our faith and trust in God's goodness. We don't need to understand we just need to hold his hand to have peace in the midst of our storms. Can you sleep when the storms of life howl in your life? Because you see, brethren, it doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor. We all know this. It doesn't matter whether you're weak or you're strong, doesn't matter whether you're a new Christian or a decades-long Christian, doesn't matter whether you're black or white, doesn't matter whether you're male or female, uncertain, unexpected, and unpredictable times and circumstances and difficulties and disasters are going to occur in this adventure we call life. Doesn't matter who you are. Sometimes unexpected things are going to sneak up on you. And they're going to be bad. And we must be prepared to navigate those storms. Or else those storms could cost us everything. Please turn with me in your Bibles tonight to the book of Ecclesiastes. You open your Bibles up to the middle. You'll probably hit the book of Psalms and then Proverbs. And then you'll find Ecclesiastes. Open with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 9. I want you to look at what King Solomon, one of the richest and one of the wisest and most blessed men to ever have lived, said and insisted on nearly three millennia ago by divine inspiration. In light of this idea that no matter who you are, there are going to be certain things that are going to come upon you, and you have to be prepared in advance of these unexpected storms of life, look at what King Solomon said in Ecclesiastes chapter 9. And yes, I find it easy to remember because it's 911, the emergency number, 911. September 11th, 2001 is 9/11. Ecclesiastes 9:11, 9/11 tells us this: I returned and saw under the sun. The race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to men of understanding, nor favor to men of skill, but time and chance. Happen to them all You know You can have the swiftest runner in a race But that doesn't always mean he's gonna win. He may fall down break his ankle time and chance the battle doesn't always go to the strongest when you look at even some of these things like like some of the football games that were on today The team that was supposed to win on paper did not win the strongest team did not always win We could go down through this whole thing. Just because you're a man of understanding doesn't always mean you're going to get rich. But time and chance happen. There are things that happen. There are unexpected things that happen. Time happens. We get older. Age happens. Chance. Things that you didn't expect, didn't encounter. You can have the best plans there were, but time and chance can affect those things. In the same way, he says, in verse 12, For man also does not know his time, like fish taken in a cruel net, like birds caught in a snare, so the sons of men are snared in an evil time, when it falls suddenly upon them. Sometimes sin will sneak up on you. You don't expect it, and before you know it, you're in its grip. Not only that, not this evil time only, but man does not know his time... Of the end. You know, Jesus expounded on this same type of truth. Jesus expounded on this same type of truth in Luke 13 1 through 4. That's basically where Jesus said that those Galileans whom Pilate had massacred while they were worshiping, as well as those 18 people on whom the Tower of Siloam fell, and killed they weren't any different than anyone else nor were they suffering some sort of divine judgment when it happened time and chance happened to us all a man does not know when his last day will be he does not know his time Ecclesiastes 12 I'm sorry 9 in verse 12 it's just that sometimes bad things happen even at times life-threatening events occur Jesus, in that passage in Luke chapter 13, just as Solomon would do here in Ecclesiastes in chapter 12 and verse 13, when he tells you that the whole conclusion of the matter is to fear God and keep his commandments, that's, that's how you prepare for Ecclesiastes nine one one and nine one two. is always knowing God and being prepared with God. Jesus said the same thing. In that passage I just mentioned in Luke 13, 1-4, after he talked about those upon whom the Tower of Siloam fell, and those that Pilate massacred, Jesus went on to stress to his disciples in verse 5, like he already had in Luke 13 and verse 3, he says in Luke 13 and verse 5, they've got to be ready too. They've got to repent. They've got to make sure they're right with God, because they don't know when it's coming any more than those people did. That's the whole point. Life sometimes comes to a very abrupt and unexpected end. Solomon said, You don't know that time. Jesus said, You need to repent, because just like those people could come at any time. And it often does come abruptly. We could talk about Anna Jefferson my own dad early 70s went out one beautiful february morning as healthy as a horse so it seemed dad was a bull of a man and and he went out we had about eight inches of new snow up there in norway maine dad went out to start his snow blower pulled twice I he mean, went out you know had on his whatever he typically put on jacket you know gloves if he was wearing them which was unusual but just like us getting ready to go drive somewhere or, or something like that, just, just got up, walked out, pulled on that snowblower twice and dropped dead right beside of it. He was gone. Paramedics got there in about four minutes. They said he'd been gone a while when they got there. We know, don't we, it can come at any time. It can happen suddenly, in good health. Think of those people that got up to go to work. Maybe they worked for a vendor, just restaurant workers. They got up and went to work on September eleventh at the Twin Towers in New York City. Take their kids to child care, get up, get in the car, you know, just another day at work. Happened seventeen years ago, the anniversary of which we just celebrated this week. And I'm sure there are others in your own experience. But, brethren, I gotta tell you. We need to be ready every day. Are you ready? Jesus sternly warned more than once about everybody's need. Everybody's need to be constantly preparing and ready for the unexpected, especially when it came to his return and our departure from this earthly life. If you'll remember in Matthew chapter 24 and Matthew chapter 25, Jesus warned repeatedly, You've got to be ready. Coming like a thief in the night, you've got to be ready you've got to be vigilant you've got to be prepared remember Matthew 25 in the parable of the the virgins and five were foolish and five were wise the five wise ones were which ones the ones that were prepared they were watching they were ready their lamps had plenty of oil they were they were prepared and that's Jesus whole point in Matthew chapter 24 and 5 the latter part of 24 and into the into 25 then what does he do in Matthew 25 after he tells about that he tells about the, the parable of the talents and how, you know, one guy got five, one got three, and one got one. And, and the one who got five talents, he was constantly preparing and investing himself in the master's service and to bring the master back more. And the one who got three was doing the same. But the one who got one, he wasn't prepared when the master returned. We, we know from that that we have got to make sure that we are preparing ourselves and that we are constantly ready by serving others for the kingdom. We've got to be investing ourselves in the life and service of others if we want to be prepared Should this be our last day? The Apostle Peter echoed that same message in 2 Peter 1, 2 through 11. But I would like for you now to turn to me to 1 Thessalonians because the Apostle Paul echoed it as well. 1 Thessalonians, please turn there. We have a beautiful passage that I've read at funerals more than once. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, you're familiar with the passage, beginning at verse 13. Running all the way down through 17, Paul writes to our Thessalonican brethren our Thessalonian brethren, he writes to them about how it's going to be so wonderful when those who have died in the Lord, when the Lord comes back, and, and all of these wonderful things that are going to happen, and he says, I don't want you brethren to be ignorant about those who have fallen asleep, verse 13, lest you sorrow as those who have no hope, and he goes into this beautiful story of what's going to happen upon Christ's return, and how all those who have died in Christ are going to be there, and there's going to be this big reunion, and he says in the last verse of chapter 4, therefore comfort one another with these words, but then look what he goes on to do. Don't separate them and and cut one off. Don't cut chapter four off from chapter five. Remember it wasn't written in chapters when it was originally written. After he says, comfort one another with what's going to happen when Jesus returns, he says in chapter five and verse one, but concerning those times, you don't need me to write to you. Verse two, for you yourselves know perfectly well that the day of the Lord so comes... As a thief in the night. What's he telling them? He says, You got to be ready. If you want to be part of that beautiful reunion I've just ch- talked about, chapter 4, verses 13 through 17, if you want to be part of that comfort and that incredible reunion with Christians and with Jesus himself, you got to be ready. Because the day of the Lord's coming like a thief in the night. Thief doesn't say, You know, call you on your smartphone and say, Hey, I'm going to rob your house in three weeks. I'll be there about 2 a.m., okay? He doesn't tell you. That's the idea here. Jesus is not going to tell you when he's coming. Read the rest of this. Follow along. Verse 3. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes on them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they'll not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We're not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others, but let us watch and be sober. do don't, don't fall asleep here. Wake up. Be ready. Be vigilant. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with Him. therefore, comfort one another with these words. Sounds like what he said in chapter 4 and verse 18, doesn't it? Yes. Why? Because in chapter 5, the beginning, he's showing you how to be part of that. What's he saying? You've got to be ready. You can't be asleep. You've got to be diligent. You've got to be awake. You've got to understand. You've got to be prepared. Because it could come at any time. But what I want to share with you for the rest of this lesson, there is nothing quite as beautiful As the hope and the peace and the security of absolutely knowing that you're ready there's nothing like the hope and the peace and the comfort and the joy and the security and the blessings and the benefits of being a humble faithful Constantly growing and serving and preparing child of the living God in this unpredictable world. Those blessings are simply beyond comprehension. As we talked about last week, God will never, ever, ever leave or abandon his faithful child doesn't matter what the storm is doesn't matter when the storm comes god will never forsake his faithful people who hold on to and trust and obey him even if they are walking through the valley of the shadow of death is not that what the scripture says didn't that comfort david david knew that that even if he walked through the valley of the shadow of death that god's rod and staff uses those illustrations from a shepherd god's rod and staff they comforted him Even though he was walking through that terrible, terrible place. Last week we looked at passages like Deuteronomy 31, 6 through 8. Of course, the reference I just gave is Psalm 23. We looked at a couple of other Psalms in Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6, all of which tell us God over over and over says, Never will I leave you or forsake you. Isn't God awesome? Aren't you glad that's who God is? there is nowhere don't don't miss this brethren this is the beauty of being prepared of knowing god fully totally and constantly getting closer to him every day there is nowhere we can go there is no trouble that we can get into there is no hell that we can be forced to endure besides you know the real one but i'm talking about tough times in this life There's none of those things that our God does not know about, that our God does not know how to overcome, or that our God will abandon us to and not walk through with us. And and I need that in my life. Look at me in Psalm 139. Let's prove it. Don't take my word for it. Let's go to Psalm 139. There's no valley too dim... There's no circumstance too difficult. There's no horrible, hellish, awful thing that we be forced to walk through that God does not know about, know how to overcome, or will abandon us too and not walk through with us. Look at this. Psalm 139 verse 1, David wrote, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down. You're acquainted with all my ways. For there's not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You have hedged me behind and before. You've put a hedge behind me and in front. God, just like this, this incredible protection... It doesn't mean that you're not going to get hurt or suffer bad times. but It means that God will go through it with you. You've hedged me behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? What can I go through that God will not go through it with me? What can I go through... That is so awful, that is so far out there, that is so horrific, that God can't go there with me. And the answer is obviously nowhere. That's the beauty of this psalm. One of many. Where can I go from your spirit? Verse 7. Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, it should say. The Old Testament equivalent of the New Testament Hades. Even though the New King James Version and King James Version say hell. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. There's no fire we can walk through that God won't walk through the faithful child of God. Walk through with the faithful child of God. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Where can I go? And what can I go through that God is not willing to walk through with me if I am willing to hold God's hand? The answer is nowhere. I need that. Psalm 46, 1 and 2. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Even though the earth be moved and the mountains be carried in the midst of the sea. If the Rocky Mountains tomorrow are uplifted from the center of the United States and plunged into the Pacific Ocean and there's this terrible wave that takes away half the country... I will not fear. Psalm 46, verses 1 and 2. And as we talked about last week, even when in our faulty, frail, sinful, prideful weakness and arrogance, even when we fail and mess up, if we are willing to confess our sin to God and repent, then the God of all grace and love and peace and mercy and faithfulness himself will love us and hold us and continue to carry and comfort us. First Samuel 12, 19-24. I think also of another verse we didn't cover last week, and that's Psalm 51, when David committed adultery with Bathsheba and it broke him into little tiny pieces, and he poured his heart out. Did God forgive David? We serve an awesome God, even when we mess up. If we're willing to repent, He is just aching to forgive us, as the Apostle Paul assures us in Romans chapter eight, verses thirty-five through thirty-nine. Neither tribulation, yet yeah, tribulation in your life. Anybody in this room tonight got any tribulation at all in their life? I'm not proud. I'll admit it. Neither tribulation or distress anything stressing you out tonight? Anybody? I'm not ashamed to admit it. Or persecution? Somebody don't like you because you're Christian? Or famine? I don't have a problem with that. Okay. Or nakedness or peril or sword? He goes on to say that neither death, not even death, mine or someone else's, neither death nor life, anything that can come at me in life. Nor angels, nor principalities, nor power, nor things present, nor things to come. There is nothing that's happened to me today, and there is nothing that will happen to me tomorrow. Nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing that will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. I am so grateful to be in Christ. I would never get out of Christ for any reason, because there is nothing, as long as I'm in Christ, the love of God is there for me, to carry me, to comfort me, even when I mess up, if I tell God, no matter what this life throws at me today, or this life throws at me tomorrow, no matter what kind of distress, or persecution, or things come at me, or people come at me, there is nothing on this earth, or in this universe, that can separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 8. I am so grateful to be in Christ. You know what it makes me? Prepared. Yes, brethren, life is fleeting. And yes, disasters, storms, losses and as you all know unexpected tragedies are common everyday experiences in this earthly life they are and because of these things many people live lives of gloom and doom they live lives of doubt and despair they live lives of hopelessness and bitterness. They live lives of frustration and and desperation. They don't sleep very well at night when the wind blows, because they ain't prepared. But for those who are prepared, for those who are in Christ... For those who are faithfully holding on to God's hand, no matter what comes their way. For those people that are every day learning and growing and studying and serving and drawing closer to God, those people who are preparing, they're putting the tarps over the hay bales, folks. They're putting the chickens in the coop, they're putting the cows in the barn. They are securing every, they are getting their life secured for the storms. because they have an awesome God. For those who have and who continue to prepare by humbly, faithfully, and completely submitting. And and folks, that's what it's all about. It's about submitting to God. It is about totally saying, okay, God, look. It's having the attitude. I'm surrendering it all. I'm yours. Everything in my life is yours. Where I go from here is yours. Where what I do tomorrow is yours, anything I walk through for a storm tomorrow, any storm that comes my way, it's all up to you, God. All I want to do is draw closer to you. I want to know you better. I want to serve you more. I want to live more like Jesus. I want to get as close to you as you can so that I can sleep when the storms of life come. Those who have submitted and surrendered themselves to the Lord God Almighty and his all-encompassing and all-powerful presence and word on a daily basis have no trouble sleeping when the wind blows because they know they are prepared. I want to share with you before we close the story of one such man in the scriptures. Turn with me please to Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter 12. If we were to read all of Acts 12, first 11, 12 chapter verses, anyway, we're not going to. But we would find there that what's happened is that Herod has had James, the brother of John, killed. He's beheaded him. Had him killed with a sword. He's taken his head off. The apostles were not impervious, obviously, from dying for their faith. You'll recall with me from the Gospels that often there were three apostles together. They witnessed some of the more intense events of Jesus' life. They were Peter, James, and John. Those were the three that were together quite often. They witnessed the little girl being raised from the dead. They were there on what we call the Mount of Transfiguration. These Peter, James, and John, they were like a threesome of the inner circle. And what's just happened is... Acts chapter 12 is that Herod has killed James. And when Herod sees that it has pleased the Jewish people that he's beheaded an apostle, killed him with a sword, however yours is worded, he thinks, aha, well, if it pleased them to do it to one, I'll do it to another, and that'll make them twice as happy. So he has Peter arrested. Peter has, don't miss this, we're looking back on it, we know what happened, we're looking back on it from 2,000 years into the future, but, but be with me, stay with me for a minute, listen, if you're Peter that night, you have no, every earthly thing points to the fact that you're about to die. That night, if you're Peter... You know that Herod has killed James, who you did a lot of incredible things with. And you saw a lot of incredible things with James and John. And you know that James is dead. And you know what Herod intends to do to you. If you're there that night, and you're Peter, you know what's about to happen. Every earthly thing says, you're going to die. It's over. And so Peter that night has not 5, not 10, not 15, but 16 soldiers. Four squads of four guarding him. 16 soldiers. Pretty good for an unarmed guy, huh? And look what it says here in the scripture. Verse 6, Acts 12. And when Herod was about to bring him out that night... Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains between two soldiers. And the guards before the door were keeping the prison. Earlier, as I said, if you do the math and read the first few verses, you'll find out that 16 soldiers guarding him. Here he is, he's chained. He's chained with two chains between two soldiers. You ever had a night where you couldn't sleep? Have you ever had a night where you couldn't sleep? I had. to put my hand up again. <laughs> you ever had a night that was so stressful, so awful, you were worried, sick. You felt as though you were going to have to get up and lose your supper. Don't mean to be gross here, but this is real life. Your stomach's just churning, your eyes are wide open, your nerves will not let you sleep. Peter had every reason to believe he was going to die very soon, within the next few hours. He's chained between two Roman guards with another 14 around. (laughs) And verse 7 says, Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, a light shone in the prison. And he struck Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise quickly, and his chains fell off his hands. Peter had to be poked. To wake him up. Really, Peter? How could Peter sleep at a time like that with the light coming? Why did Angel have to poke him to wake him up? You want to know why? I'll tell you why. Peter could sleep when the wind blew. Peter was prepared. Had Peter made some mistakes in his life? Oh yeah. He denied the Lord three times, third time with a curse. Remember the drill? Later on that night, Jesus had looked him in the eye after the third denial. And the the scripture says, Peter went outside and wept bitterly. Peter had messed up on numerous occasions. But Peter had repented of his sins. He had taken care of business. Peter was serving the Lord. And Peter could sleep when the storm that would take his life was coming because Peter knew God, was close to God, served God, trusted God, Peter could sleep. When the wind blew. The question is: we close. Can you sleep... When the unexpected storms of life blow in hard. Now I want you to really think about that. Have you completely and totally surrendered yourself and your life to God? I'm not talking about just being baptized. Okay, well, let's get something straight. I've been here long enough for every one of you to know that I understand that baptism is absolutely essential to salvation. We're all we all get that, okay? Okay. But a person can get baptized, they can repent and get baptized, but not totally and completely surrender every part of themselves to God. Is that right? Can that that happen? Yes, that can happen. When we get baptized, we need to rise to walk in newness of life, drawing closer to God, loving God, getting to know God better, serving God, and submitting and surrendering to God. Brethren, if there's somebody here tonight, I am begging you, if you are here tonight, And you can't sleep that well when the storms of life blow in hard because you have not completely surrendered yourself to God. You need to do that. You need to just say, that's it. God, you do what you want, I'm all yours. Will God reward that kind of faith, church? Will He? Does God reward that kind of faith when you just open up and just say, God, this is, I'm out, it's all you. It's not me, it's all you. You do what you got to do. I'm yours. You love me. You paid your son for me. I'm yours. I don't care. I'm yours. You do what you want. You think we could sleep better at night if we just totally emptied it out some days? You think we could do that? Have you completely and totally surrendered yourself and your life to the word, will, and authority of God, and therefore you are confident of and resting in His peace, power, presence, and providence in your circumstance? If you've truly surrendered your storm, your lightning and thunder and flood, and whatever it is that's your storm of life, if you have thoroughly, totally, and completely surrendered that to God, do you trust Him? And if you trust him, and you're prepared, then you can sleep when the wind blows. If there's anybody in this room tonight who's going through something, and you just need the prayers of the church for more peace and comfort and strength, and to give over maybe that little 1%. Maybe you gave God 99%. Of it, but you cling into that little tiny piece and it's just causing you all kinds of untold distress. Let it go. Give it to God so you can sleep tonight. If you need the prayers of the church for that kind of strength, please don't leave here hurting. We have an awesome God. We have a God who loves you and will comfort you and will hold you and will carry you. Trust Him. Do you need the prayers of the church? You need to become a member of the church by being baptized. If any of those needs are yours, don't just stand there and sing. Walk down the aisle and let us pray for you as the rest of us stand and sing.